last uh, Sunday we began uh, at least a three-part. This is the second in the series that we're just entitling In the Spirit, In the Spirit. And even we were able to minister uh, we, you know, by the Spirit to some people last Sunday, and we'll just see what God's up to today. But uh, even though our screen's out, that's why you should always bring your Bible. Hallelujah. <laughs> and if you don't have one, yeah, that means you have it memorized. Um, but look home maybe with somebody that has one. We do apologize for the technical difficulty. Sometimes these things just happen when you're dealing with all this equipment and stuff. And it always aggravates me uh, because to me, I feel like this is, I'm responsible for this house. And it's like if you came to my house to visit and the air conditioning was out, I'm going to apologize to you even though I can't fix it. Hallelujah. Uh, but we do apologize for the not being able to put the scriptures up on the big screen, but they will have them, I think, on the side screens. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25 and I also want to read uh, verse 16 of the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. And uh, let's stand as our custom is, as we honor God's word by standing as it's read. And here Paul's writing to the church of Galatia, and he says, If we live in the Spirit, there's that phrase, in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, or many translations say according to the Spirit. And then in verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. And a benefit of walking in the Spirit is you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you've got to understand that the Bible describes two kinds of life and two ways to live that life. You're, you're either in the flesh or you are in the Spirit. We're going to read in Romans where you're going to see it even more clearly. And you can either walk according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. Now, Paul draws a distinction because he's the author of both of these books of Romans and Galatians that we're going to read by the Spirit. So let's look in Romans chapter 8 as we begin in verse 1. And it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That Greek word that is translated into English condemnation is also the same word that means punishment. There's no punishment uh, to those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're going through bad things in your life, just get it clear that it's not God doing it to you. Now, if you make stupid decisions and make wrong choices, you can suffer because of that. You can be locked up because of that. If I go down as a believer and decide I need to borrow the bank's money with a pistol in my hand, how many knows I'm going to suffer consequences because of a very poor choice? But God's not the one doing it to me. God's not locking me up. God ain't got nothing to do with it. It's just I made a dumb decision. And I'm suffering the consequences of a bad choice. Can you say amen? amen? So stop blaming God for bad stuff in your life. Jesus has already bore all the bad stuff and the punishment for sin. So God's not trying to get you. He's trying to awaken you to the good news of the gospel. Can you somebody say amen? amen. That's, this has been, this, that's worth the drive already, what I've done said. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not to those who are in church. Not to those who are in a club. This is in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So again, he's drawing that, that comparison, that paradox. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, the law was perfect but the people trying to keep it were weak and couldn't keep it. God did. I like that phrase. God did. What for, the law couldn't do through weak people, 
God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. That's why he came. He condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned sin in the flesh of his son because him who knew no sin became what? Sin. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind, well, did I miss four, four says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So, anyway, I better not comment. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, that just means carnal, carnivious flesh, to be carnally minded is what? But to be spiritually minded is what? Like, which one of them do you want? That's not a hard choice. All right? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now this is, this is not you trying to please God, because if you're in Christ, you already please God, because Jesus pleases God, and God puts you in one who pleases Him. So stop trying to please God. What he's saying is that those are, that are in the flesh, you're going to find out here, in the flesh means you're not saved yet. Because once you're saved, you're in the spirit. And you're no longer in the flesh. You can still walk according to the flesh and be in the spirit. See, some of you don't, well, that's why you're here. That's why you're here to learn the Bible where you can say amen when somebody says it. But Paul draws a distinction. So when you're born again, you are placed in the Spirit. You are one Spirit with Christ. You are one Spirit with Him. You are in the Spirit, and you'll never be out of the Spirit again. But you can walk according to the flesh, but you're no longer in the flesh. So what he's saying is, so then those who are in the flesh, you can't please God with any effort of your own choice. You, you can't please God that way. Your righteousness is filthy rags. You can't please God. There's one thing that pleases God, and that's Jesus. And God puts you in him, right? Verse 9. Now here Paul makes it clear. But you are not in the flesh. He says those that are in the flesh can't please God. But you're not in the flesh. I just told you that. But in the what? If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then he clears that up. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. He's not saved. He's not born again. So if you're saved, you have the Spirit of Christ in you, and you are in the Spirit. Now, the difference with us is, is that sinners live uh, in the flesh and they walk according to the flesh all the time. Believers are in the Spirit and ideally will walk in the Spirit or walk according to the Spirit and live their life in the Spirit, ideally. But we don't always do that, do we? So you can be a believer... And you must know that you're in the Spirit by birth. Listen, and you're not in the Spirit by the way you walk. You don't bounce in and out of the Spirit. Even when you sin, that doesn't remove you out of the Spirit. You were born in the Spirit. Y'all act like I'm telling y'all something new that you ain't never heard before. <clears throat> Somebody beam me in a new congregation. Give me my Grace Point congregation back that knows what I'm saying. You're in the Spirit. But you still can make bad choices and walk according to the flesh. The Bible is filled with examples of people that made fleshly choices as somebody that had a relationship with God 
based on a lot of different reasons. And it's also full of examples of people that walked and were led by the Spirit. There is no greater example of a person who was led by the Spirit than the Lord Jesus Christ. You follow his life, you read about him, you read what he did, and you will find a person who is being led by the Spirit in everything that he does. He's being moved by the Spirit of God. He's not leaning upon anything of his own. He's being, he's being led by the Spirit to do the things that he did. Life in the Spirit is so much better than life in the flesh. Amen? Now let's pray. Father, we do love you, and we thank you that by your Holy Spirit that you're helping us to learn to walk in the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit, to be sensitive to your Spirit, to yield ourselves not to our own understanding, our own resources, or our own intellect, our own strength, but to lean upon you, Lord, to trust in you, that you're directing us, you're ordering our footsteps, you're guiding us, and we give you praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, everybody says turn around shake somebody smile real big at them say welcome to grace point we're glad you're here we're glad you're here so we're not in the flesh if you're born again you're in the spirit is that right we just read it i just read it to you so you're in the Spirit, and it's important that you know that and that you don't bounce in and out. Uh, you'll have people say a lot of things to you, especially when you, you sin, and they'll say, well, you need to do this, you need to repent, you need to confess, you need to do all this stuff to get back in fellowship with God. Well, first off, that's not in the Bible. So as a believer, you don't fall in and out of fellowship. You've been made one with Christ. You're in fellowship with him. The Bible's clear on that for those of us that will read it good. So, but I lived that way for a long time. So, you know, that you're bouncing in and out all day long. If you live in this life, you're going to sin. Somebody's going to cut you off when you're driving and you're going to think bad thoughts about them and a mama. And when you do that, you just sin. So if you believe that deal, you're popping in and out of fellowship with God all day long. And you're going to be a real busy person just trying to, trying to hang in there. It's just ridiculous. That's religion. That's not relationship. It's not like that. But you are in the spirit by birth, and, and flesh cannot give birth to spirit, and spirit cannot give birth to flesh. Jesus taught us that in John chapter 3 and in verse 6. What is of the flesh is flesh, that is of the spirit is spirit. And so even though you are in the spirit, you can still walk after the flesh. You can walk according to the flesh. Even though you are in Christ, let me say it this way, you can still act as though you were still in Adam. Are you with me? Um, walking after the old ways, walking after the flesh for a believer is abnormal. It's absolutely abnormal. It's like a butterfly. He was a caterpillar. Now he's been transformed metamorphosis. That's the word, right? So he's become a butterfly, but even though he's a butterfly, he still thinks and acts as though he's still a caterpillar. Now that's a pitiful sight. Got wings, won't even use them. Walking on the ground with beautiful wings. Absolutely a totally different creation. And still acting like he's a caterpillar. Conform to the ground. 
See, if you're a, caterp- if you're a butterfly, you see a big pile of uh, <clears throat> manure there, you can just fly over it. If you're a caterpillar, you've got to crawl right through the middle of it. Y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. So don't walk and live your life according to the flesh. Jesus, I told you, is the very best model of life lived in the Spirit. He walked in step with the Spirit. Now, listen to this statement. Most of you know this. Every miracle that Jesus performed, he did not perform those miracles as God, though he was God. He performed every miracle that he did, from raising of Lazarus from the dead to healing, to walking on the everything he did, he did as a man full of the Holy Spirit of God, a man in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. He did not do what he did as God. Now, theologically, you know, preachers are taught in school and seminary that he is 100% God and he is also 100% man. How many's heard that? You, that's pretty popular in church. Mathematically, that don't make sense. You cannot, it, don't, it doesn't work. So it's not to be received by mental assent or understanding in the brain. It's by faith. It's by faith. And so Jesus was always God that's his name, Emmanuel, means God in the what? In the flesh. John 1 says, in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. So in the beginning was the Word. In heaven, Jesus was not known as Jesus. Jesus was known as the Word. So in heaven, we had the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And they three agree. Yet we have one God manifested in three personalities. I had a meeting this week. They're, they're probably sitting in here, so don't be offended by this. I'm just saying I get this a lot. I had a meeting this week, and one of the questions that the, the people were meeting with me about, they said, wanted me to explain the Trinity. And so I'm, I started off saying nobody understands the Trinity. It's something received by faith, not understood mentally. But yet, on the other hand, there are things and types and shadows that we can understand. That God is one God. But yet he is manifested in three persons. I'm one person. How many people do you see standing up here today? Be sweet now. Just one. All right. But I am a son to my parents. I am a husband to my wife. And I am a father to my children. But you don't see three up here. But yet I just told you I'm husband, son, and father. Yet I'm one. You you see that? Uh, the one I like to use is the egg. Now, God's called one God. Hear ye, O Israel, our God is one God. So God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, egg. Egg. Crack it. Lay the shell here. Separate the egg white from the egg yolk. And so we got egg yolk, egg white, egg shell. It's all egg. It looks different. So it's egg the shell, egg the yolk, and the egg... <laughs> Egg, egg the what? Come on, y'all. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Don't waste a lot of time burning brain cells trying. You understand what I'm saying? If we understood the Trinity, then that would mean you'd understand God, and you might be him, and I hope you ain't, because I know you ain't. So it's, it's by faith. It's by faith. 
But what Jesus did, and listen, if you don't understand this, me talking and preaching about life in the Spirit and, and, and encouraging you in these things. I, I, just, I read this week uh, in a book. Uh, it said, uh, and I didn't have time to validate all, all this, but this is what it said. And I, and I, do, valid, I do honor the author uh, tremendously. And this is what he said. Uh, a recent study, survey, whatever, 86% of people that are born again, that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, came to know him as a result, direct result or indirect result, so to speak, of family or relatives. Okay? That only leaves 14% of the people that are born again who came to know Jesus through evangelistic outreaches or any other endeavor that the church has ever tried. So 86% of the people that have come to know Christ came. So this is some of the examples of why they came. They came, but they, if they came to church and they heard a message about the gospel and they responded to that and put their faith in Christ, but the reason they were in that church is because a friend or a family member invited them. So the most, and listen, you shouldn't be shocked by that because that's the way it is in the Bible and God planned it that way. Oh, listen, over and over, Jesus, when he would heal people, he would tell them, they would want to follow him right then. He would say, go back to your families. Go back to your household. Tell, tell your family, tell your family, your brethren, what the Lord has done for you. Over and over he did that. Y'all remember that in the Bible? He was always telling them to go back to your family. Tell your family what I did for you. Go back and tell your family. Um, it's, like, it's like the story of Jesus. Remember when he was 12 years old, first home alone scene? And so he, they, they left him in Jerusalem, and they, they're, they're, they're gone away, you know, and they realize that the oasis at the rest stop, that he's not with them. <clears throat> and then, it, listen, it says they looked for him. They're looking for Jesus now. I, I'm, I'm talking about typology here. But they're looking for him, and they looked for Where's the first place they looked for him? Among their kin and among their family, it says. Their friends and their family is where they first started looking for Jesus. Now, where did they find him at? In the temple. They found him in the temple. Isn't it weird that you could actually find Jesus in church? In the temple. That's another message another Sunday. But they found him in the temple. But the first place that they started looking for him was among their relatives, among their own kin. This is the first place that people are going to start looking for Jesus. And, and they might not even know they're looking for Jesus, but when they're in trouble and they're hurting, the, the first place that they're going to turn to most of the time is their friends and their family for help. They're going to look for them. And hopefully when they turn to friends and family, they'll find Jesus. They'll find Jesus. And I'm not saying you've got to get them to church until they're officially saved. I'm saying you can share the gospel with them, but you've got to tell them what Jesus has done in your life. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He did that several times in, in, in very dangerous venues. But he shared his conversion story. He, he told these kings that had the power over his life, so to speak. He told them what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And you remember in that counter, those two major questions that, that Paul had when he saw in a vision the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus came to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why, does thou, why, why are you persecuting me? And then he says, he says these two things. Who are you, Lord? And then the second one, what would you have me do? Did, did you hear those two questions? See, that's your two questions. 
That's my two questions. Who are you, Lord? Who are you in my life? Who are you? Are you just a self-help program? Are you religion dressed up for Sunday morning? What, who are you? Who, who are you? Who are you to me? Am, am I just trying to serve mama's God or grandmama's God? Who, who are you, Lord? And you got to get that one straightened out first. And then the second one, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? See, those two, those two questions. Walking in the Spirit is what Jesus did. And so all these miracles and all, he, 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 listen, until Jesus was 30 years old, when he was baptized, he couldn't do anything about any dilemma or problem he saw or faced. As far as, you hear this stuff. Well, Jesus is a little baby, and his mama's Mary's bathing him, and he won't get in the water. He's walking across the water while, you know, trying to bathe the toddler. All that's ridiculous religion. Jesus couldn't do any miracles. He couldn't heal the sick. He couldn't raise the dead. He couldn't walk on water. He couldn't do nothing. He said it of his own self, I can do nothing of myself. What changed in Jesus' life and, and, and the rationale of that is if he could have done anything. In other words, if he had the power before 30 to do something about all the problems, why didn't he raise his own daddy from the dead? Sometime between 12 years of age, we see Joseph in the Bible. And then when Jesus turns 30 at his public baptism, somewhere in those years, the Bible is silent on it. But we know this, Joseph is dead and gone. We don't know if he died over a slow disease eating away at his body day by day or if he died suddenly at the carpenter shop when a log fell across him and hit him in the head and killed him. We, we don't know. But the point is that Jesus, even the phraseology of him in the Bible, he, he was called the, the son of a carpenter. Now he's called the carpenter himself. Why? Because he's the eldest in the family. Now he has brothers and sisters but in a way, they're kind of half brothers and sisters because God was his daddy. Um, come on. He got his flesh from his mama, but he got his spirit from his father. But he didn't come in different flesh. He came in sinful flesh. I read the scriptures for you today. Just like ours. Not that he sinned, but in other words, it wasn't a different souped up kind of flesh. Because Listen, if you don't get this part straight, you will never attempt to do anything supernatural that Jesus did. In other words, listen, if you think that Jesus did, <clears throat> did what he did, let me say it like this. In other words, if Jesus did all those miracles that he did as God and not as a man full of the Spirit, I'm still greatly impressed. But I am not challenged to try to replicate nor duplicate any miracle that he did. And right there is where most of the church is. I remember one time when a mama, a little boy in our church, and he was five years old, Went to our Christian school at the uh, different church I pastored then. And uh, I had already buried his daddy from pancreatic cancer. He was a Valdosta firefighter. And just horrible disease. Took his life way too quick. Preached that funeral. Buried his dad. Left a wife, other kids, little small kids. But had a little, little, little feller. Little boy. 
he, he contracted cancer. Me and my wife made several trips to the Eggleston in Atlanta and just watched that disease just ravage this kid. And uh, I remember as it got so close to the end, his mother looked at me one day and said, Pastor, if he dies, I want you to pray to raise him from the dead. <laughs> you want to be a preacher? I'd have swapped with you on that day. Now, I had been asked that before by a lady that her husband died of cystic fibrosis, and he was only 33 when we buried him. She asked me to raise him from the dead, and I gave her that good religious explanation. Well, I don't want to do that. You know, I mean, I don't want to bring shame to the name of the Lord or this and that, whatever. I don't know if you've ever had anybody ask you to pray to raise somebody from the dead, but it really lets you know how small and dependent you are on God if God's going to do anything. Nurses looked at this mom with pity. She, had, she took a, a pillowcase and wrote, this disease is not unto death but for the glory of God, kind of like what they said about Lazarus, you know, that scripture. So some would try to encourage her. Some would just look at her with pity. You could see it in their face. And, you know, it just it was sad. And, uh, but I remember, I just couldn't look at this mom and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I remember the day she called me and said that he has died and he was in the hospital, one of these major hospitals around here. And, um, so I, 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 I took off. Man, I hated to make that ride. But when I got there, I even knew the nurses at the nursery, uh, I mean, the uh, pediatric wing. And they said to me, they said, uh, Pastor, you know, he's been dead now about almost an hour. And we hadn't pushed anything because we knew she wanted you to come. Um, but we're going to have to do something now here in a little bit. And they said, you understand? I said, I understand. I walked into the room, and there is Mom with a praise tape going, hands lifted, and there lays a dead five-year-old. She, she had already dressed him between the time he died and when I got there. She dressed him and put on a little polo shirt, khaki breeches, and his shoes on him. Now, you can say she's crazy, that's faith, or you can say whatever. But until that's your kid laying there, you probably shouldn't say anything. And I walked into the room, and she introduced me to some family member that I did not know. I said, how are you doing? Please leave. what Jesus did one time when he went when there was a dead kid. He told everybody to get out of the house. He said when he put them all out, because they were laughing and mocking. And Jesus told them, you know, the damsel is not dead. She merely sleeps. The Bible said they laughed him to scorn. And when they laughed at Jesus, he said, get out. What? Get out. All of you hit the bricks. Get out. See, that's the stuff you don't hear preached about Jesus in most Sunday morning services. The Bible says, and when he had put them all out, he allowed mother and dad and Peter, James, and John to accompany him. And he walked up to a little girl's deathbed, 12 years old, and he spoke Arabic for whatever reason he wanted to. He could speak any language he wanted to, probably. And he said, Talitha Kumai which being translated means damsel, 
I say unto thee, arise. And she sat up. Look at all them people that could have seen a miracle, but they didn't believe in them. And guess what? You never get to see if you don't believe in it. You don't get to see miracles. Well, we don't have no healings in our church. I know you don't because nobody preaches on it and nobody goes for it. But I am amazed that those people always come to me that go to those churches that don't believe in miracles when they get sick. Because it wasn't important. It was fine for you to argue theology and say people like us that lay hands on the sick and, and the Bible says they shall recover. Did you want to argue about all that? Until you're sick and until it's your kid that's sick, it's your grandbaby, or the doctor says you've got cancer now. Then your church can't help you because they don't pray and anoint the sick with oil and pray the prayer of faith and the Lord, believe the Lord shall raise them up. They remember they're sick on a memo on the back hall and then they remember them out in the cemetery with a granite. I'm saying at some point if we're going to walk in the spirit, I remember, and listen, let me say this to you. The only reason I'm going to even say these words, I, I, don't, I don't have no rocks to throw at nobody, no denomination. Catholics either. No, I mean, I'm not here. Listen, people love Jesus in a lot of places, okay? But I'm going to use some names so it will help the story because it's true, and I want to give you hope. So I don't mean when I say a certain denomination or affiliation that I, that I think I'm better than them. You, you, you with me? I'm only going to use their names because I think it helps the story to give you hope. So years ago, and there's people sitting here, like Pastor Billy Ray and different ones, my wife, the, the different ones that know this is, 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 is true. So I'm not making up stuff. So I'm at a Pentecostal church in another county out from here, and I'm preaching a revival. And I had been to this church over the years, but I'm, I'm saying, but it was a Pentecostal church, and it just happens to be that's where I was. The pastor introduced me again on my first night there. I walked to the pulpit. I opened my Bible to preach my sermon. And as I looked out over the, the crowd there on this side, about where Brother Scott is sitting, I saw a young woman sitting on the end of the pew by herself. I don't know how old she was. I'm guessing in her 30s probably. And... Uh, as soon as I made eye contact with her in the spirit, I knew that I was to pray for her immediately. How'd you know that? I don't know. In the spirit. That's what we're talking about. So if you're going to move in this stuff, you have to, you have to step, take a step of faith. So I just, I've never, I, at that time, I had never done that before. I always preached first and then prayed. But God said, pray for her now before you preach. He didn't tell me what to pray for her about. Sometimes, I, I've only had this happen a couple of times, but I have asked people, could I pray for them? And they said no. Now that's embarrassing for them and me. I was at a church one time, but Pastor Billy Ray will know this one, because he was there. But I said, I, I said, I asked to the pastor, I said, where's your wife? And they said, she's back in the, you know, with the kids. I said, well, I'd like to pray for her. Go get her. Well, I had a word of the Lord for her. They went back there, and she said she wasn't coming. <laughs> Am I telling the truth with her? She didn't come. I'd never, I don't know. What? She ain't coming. They said, no, she ain't going to come. Okay, then. Moving right along. <laughs> but I looked at this woman. I said, ma'am, can I pray with you? She, she just nodded. She's by herself. She walked down front. 
She, when I, when, so now when she's walking down the aisle just to get inside, I don't know how it works for everybody else. This is just poor old Brother Dale. But as she, as she walked out and she's headed this way, inside where you can't see or hear it, man, I'm just a praying to God. I'm like, oh, God, please tell me what to do when she gets down here. It's called faith, y'all. Now, my go-to is, yea, the Lord love thee, my child. That's true with everybody, and you can pray that for anybody, right? When, I, when, she, when she got down, I stepped off the platform like this, and I stood there, and as soon as I stepped and got, you know, what I call within her three foot of personal space, I heard in the spirit one word, infirmity. So what do you do? It's called a word of knowledge. You do what God, you go with that. And so... I said, uh, sister, I said, as you stood before me, one word come to me, infirmity. I said, I don't know what your infirmity is, but I believe God wants to heal you of it right now. And I laid my hands on her. I didn't feel anything, lightning bolts, thunder. Nobody glowed. She didn't even fall down. You're supposed to in a Pentecostal church, I thought. I thought everybody's supposed to fall down. <clears throat> but she didn't fall down. Now, if she'd have fallen down, that would have really made me look anointed. But now I know I'm anointed whether folk fall down or not. And most of the time, I'd rather you stand up where you can hear what God's going to say to you. But I believe in falling down. I believe in that. I see it in the New Testament. Even lost people can fall down under the power of God. Soldiers come to arrest Jesus. They said, are you the Christ? He said, I am. They all fell backwards. They weren't even in a charismatic Pentecostal service and they all fell out. So if it can happen to them, it can happen to you. And if it does happen to you and if it's God, you'll love it. I've told you this story before. Quickly, my wife raised just a nice, sweet Baptist girl. And Baptists are sweet and they don't bother people. And so I, she married this, this guy here and I was a paramedic, not a preacher at that time, and I'm working in Tifton and working those 24 hours, sometimes 48 hour shifts. And so our church was in revival. She went to the revival. Our church was Pentecostal that I was raised in, and it can get pretty wild sometimes. And so in those days, you'd line them down the center aisle and bring them this way. You didn't line them across this way. I don't know why we've changed. But she got in the line, and the evangelist was wild, and eyes was wild and his hair was slicked back and he had shiny shoes and he was laying hands on people. And they said you could hear his hand hitting their forehead. Like, I mean, boy, he, I mean, he was putting it to them when they come up front. So most of them people are falling down because they're getting knocked down. They're getting pushed down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And my wife didn't want to be like a heathen, you know, sitting out there and not allow the man of God to pray for him because he said he wanted to pray for everybody. So you either got to come this way or go that way and go to the house. But so she got in the line, and so she come down the line. My, you know, we were just first married. I hadn't, you know, I, I was always having to counsel with her after she would come to our, some of our services. Now, the reason that this person screamed and made three laps is because they're crazy. But, but they're blaming it on the Holy Ghost. But anyway, so here she comes down, and here this man of God, you know, as he got to my wife, and you've heard me tell it, he, he, he went to lay hands on her. She said, I was at work. He didn't touch her because God knows what he's doing. And he looked at my wife and he said, God says to clap your hand three times, sister. Well, if you got any sense, do what the man of God says. Don't try to fix Well, why, I got to clap? why can't I clap it four times? That's why you don't get nothing. You like them people Jesus commanded the hungry people to set in companies of 50. 
If you, get, if you just shut up and sit in companies of 50, you're going to get fish and chips. But if you try to be a San Francisco 49er, you're going to go hungry. Because you're hard-headed and you won't do what people tell you and your paralysis of the analysis is cutting off the flow of the Spirit to you. I'm having fun. They don't know where you are or not. And that preacher said to my wife, he said, clap your hands three times, sister. She went. She don't remember the third one. Now, my little wife, so shy. She called me that night at ambulance service in Tiff, and she told me the story of what happened to her. She loved it. Didn't you love it? That was cool, wasn't it? That was her first, like, out in the spirit. Just knocked out in the spirit. She don't know how long she's laying there. Thank God there's sisters to throw an apron over her legs, you know, glory to God. Thank God for the sisters that do that, you know, throw the towel or the apron over your legs. We don't even keep them out no more. Yeah, we got them hid back here somewhere. They are back here. Yeah, they're over there. So we'll take care of you if you go down. She loved it. Nobody will ever wrestle that experience of an encounter. God, now, God didn't do it and just, you know, take control. She, she was willing. Uh, will, she, I don't know, whatever. He, God zapped her, whatever you want to call it. I, I'm the worst guy to pray for because I never fall out. I was, I was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania with Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, Heidi Baker, all of them. Even more people that you might, but famous people like that. And he said, he said I, Randy Clark was preaching them about importation. He said, I want every senior pastor that's here to come get on the roster, on the platform right now. He said, come up here right now. So here, boy, we took off. I was up there, and I got on the platform, and I'm up on the platform, the lights are shining, and I'm standing by a whole pile of preachers. And Randy Clark starts on that end. And everyone he touches is falling like dominoes. I mean, he's just moving down the line. Just, boy, they falling like he's shooting them. And I'm standing right in the middle, you know, waiting. My turn. And Randy Clark lays hands on me, and I'm still standing there when he goes past. He actually stopped and looked at me. He went ahead and prayed for a couple more, and they fell. And then he comes back to me. I guess he felt sorry for me. Because they are all piled up around me, and I'm still standing there. I will make you look so unanointed when you pray for me. And he just prays and moves on. But see, I'm not going to give you a courtesy fall. If I fall, it's going to be because I can't stand. And if I can't stand, it won't be because you shoved me because me, I, I know how to wrestle. It'll be because the power of God overwhelms this willing vessel for whatever choice he chooses, and I go out in his presence. And I've done that. But I'm not playing no games here. I'm not interested in nothing that ain't absolute God. But I got enough sense to know we're all in the flesh as far as our earth suits. But we're not in the flesh when it comes to life in the spirit. So this lady, when I said infirmity, sister, I said the the Lord says you have an infirmity. I believe God wants to heal you. And I laid hands on her. She didn't fall. She went back to her seat. She didn't cry. She didn't react in any way. It didn't really seem like it was that big a deal. I come back behind the pulpit, open my Bible again. Remember, I'm starting my sermon, and I preach my sermon, and I go home. 
I preach every night of that week. I never saw the lady again. A few weeks later, I get a call one night at my home, and this guy introduces himself and, and says he's a Methodist pastor. Now, this is why I'm telling the story, not to be derogatory to any denomination, because I love, I do that, I'm serious. I love Methodist people, I love Baptist people, I love Pentecostal people. Well, what are you? I'm not any of that, I'm all of that. I believe in Baptist. I believe in stick them underwater until they say tithe. Hallelujah. And then bring them up. I'm, being, I'm, I'm, I'm just joking now. Relax. I'm Methodist. I believe in John and Charles Wesley and their methodology in reaching the lost. I'm, 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 I'm all of those things, and we should be all those things. But the denominations, you know, basically circle the wagons around a truth that they're trying to defend. And... Uh, <clears throat> And I just hate to answer to people. Jesus wouldn't let people get a label on him. And I, I squirm with that too. Well, are you charismatic? No. Well, are you Baptist? No. Are you Pentecostal? No. I mean, what are you then? How about a believer? How about a follower of Jesus? How's that go down? Like what? I mean, <laughs> let's just work with that, okay? So this Methodist pastor don't tell me anything other than he introduces himself. He said, I'm, I'm pastor so-and-so. I pastored the XYZ Methodist Church. And I would love for you to come, if you would, and preach a revival for us. And I'm thinking on the phone, why is this Methodist guy, you know, really want me to come preach a revival? I've never been, you know, at his church or anything like that. But although I'd preached in Methodist churches before, but okay. So I, I said, yes. I remember, and you may not believe in all this stuff, but I remember that morning, I was already pastoring Cornerstone then, had done started that, and I preached that morning, a Sunday morning at Cornerstone on the Holy Spirit descending in a bodily form upon Jesus. I had, my wife couldn't go that first night for whatever reason. The, one of my elders rode over there with me to this revival starting that Sunday night. As we pulled up, still daylight, there, now you may not believe this, and it doesn't matter. This is just how the story goes. There was a white dove I know what a gray dove. I know what a pigeon looks like, and I know what a dove that I get to shoot in the dove field looks like. And by the way, how about calling me when you have them dove shoots? Hallelujah! I'd like to be there. But uh, <clears throat> this was a white dove on the steeple of that church, and I noticed it. And me and my elder stood there and looked at it and talked about it, and it wouldn't fly away. It stayed there. We didn't try to shoot it away or nothing. But we took that. I just really said, I said, I believe with all my heart that's a sign that the Holy Spirit's going to do mighty things this week. When we went in that church, I'd never even met the pastor, never met anybody in there. I went and sat on the front, on the side, and I was just hoping that sooner or later the pastor would see this strange guy, you know, and come introduce himself, and he did. And he said, we're glad you're here, Brother Young, and we're, going, we're about to get the service started. Very traditional, you know, got the choir back there singing. They did their thing, and then they even had a special song. And so the lady got up to do her special song, and she was talking just a little bit, and she said, before I sing tonight, I want to give a word of testimony. And so she started talking, and this is what she said. And then I recognized her. It was the lady that I had prayed for. She said, y'all know that a few weeks ago I was in a revival where Brother Young was running revival over XYZ Church, and uh, y'all know that I had been diagnosed with, with possible uh, breast cancer, and they told me it didn't look good. And I had these tumors that they told me that they just felt sure it was cancerous. And I was going in the hospital the next morning for biopsies and some tests and, you know, things that they were going to remove. And she said, but the night before, she said, I went to that revival meeting where he was. And she said, y'all know I've already told you, uh, but I wanted to give God praise again, that, I, that he called me out and he laid hands on me and he said, infirmity. And he said, the Lord wanted to heal me. And she said, I went to the hospital the next morning, and they took me back there, and, and they told me there was nothing to do, no biopsies or no remove. Uh, the breast was clear. There was nothing in there whatsoever. Totally healed. Give God praise for that. 
Now, see, I didn't know anything about that. But listen, you talk about power evangelism. What that did for me is similar to the story I told you last week. I can't go back again. But it gives you access by faith in that church. Because that, that, then I knew the reason I'm in a Methodist church is because that's a Methodist lady I prayed for. And they love her. She's their little young lady in their church. She's a member here. They all know her. They all love her. And they always worried about her. And they know God healed her. And then they want that preacher that laid his hands on her to come over here. And I'm telling you, man, we had a revival that week in that Methodist church. I remember midweek, it was on Wednesday night, uh, during the, my preaching, I just felt that God said, pray for the pastor right now. And I didn't know. I hadn't even had a meal with the guy. I hadn't talked with the guy. So I, I, I said, pastor, would you come? And he come and stood right there in the middle. And I, and I just said, I feel like God wants me, pastor, to lay my hands on you and pray for you. Is that okay? He said, yes, sir. As soon as I touched him, didn't even get to say, dear Lord, or nothing. He fell down like you shot him. I mean, I like tried to catch him, but he was done gone. And as soon as his back hit the floor, he's speaking real loud in tongues. Now, what I would find out later is that in that church's bylaws, it says that if you speak in tongues, you have to surrender your membership and can no longer be a member. Is that right, Billy Ray Lee? Yes, sir. He knows. <clears throat> and so the pastor apparently didn't read his own bylaws <laughs> because he's speaking in tongues real loud in his Methodist church. And I'm thinking, like, and I didn't know that that was in the bylaws then, to be honest with you, I didn't know that. But I did know I was in a Methodist church, and I hadn't heard nobody speak in tongues yet that week, including me. And here he is just getting with it. He spoke in tongues. He, we got up. He said, Brother Young, can I hold the mic? And, of course, he's the pastor. Sure, I'm there to serve you. He took the microphone with tears running down his face, and he said, Church, he said, I want to repent to you. Now, this is their pastor talking to the, his congregation. He said, I, and this is his exact words. I'll never forget. He started off by saying this. He said, You know what? I have not done with the healing message what I should have done with it. I've not preached it to you. I've not declared it to you. And for that, I'm sorry. He said, what most of you in here don't know is that I've been having some tremendous health problems. And in fact, the doctor told me that I either had to, he was a bivocational pastor, he said that I had to resign my job or quit my church, but I couldn't do both, it would kill me. And he said, I've been wrestling and wrestling over this thing. He said, but I believe with all my heart tonight, God's healed me. And I mean, his congregation was weeping. They started getting out of the pews, coming up front, hugging their pastor loving on him. And I got to stand there and watch God in the spirit do miracles and, and touch a whole congregation by touching their leader. We saw healings all during that week. and Just tremendous. Why? Because in the spirit. But let, let, me, let me end this with this. But it's not just for preachers. We, listen, you should never be afraid to, to stand and share what God's done in your life, your conversion, your story. Every, every one of you have a story. Now listen to me. You have power. Okay, you have power, number one, because you have the Bible, the gospel. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the, of the, of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So you have a power-packed word. The word itself will, it has power to, to silence arguments and to convert the heart of sinners. 
So you have an empowered word. Secondly, you are an empowered person if you're born again. For you shall receive power, Acts 1 and 8, after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Power for what? Power to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria. You know where your Jerusalem is? Where you live. In your house. In your neighbor's hood. In your, listen, so listen, you have a powerful gospel, the word, and you are an empowered person full of the Spirit. Stand there. Don't be afraid. You don't think, I mean, I'm still learning. I, I understand the, the timidity tendency we have. I mean, I would never do that. I would never call a person out. I remember our sweet sister here, I've told you before. I mean, you, you just have to say what the word that God's given you at that moment or that impression that comes to you. Look, you're hearing God. You just don't, you're just wrestling too much over it. The devil's not going to tell you to lay hands on somebody and pray for them to get healed. You don't have to go, well, I wonder if that's God or the devil. The devil's not telling you to pray for people to get healed. The devil's not trying to tell you to witness to people about Jesus. Don't wrestle that stuff. But listen to you. I, I, want, I want to leave you with this hope. Listen to me. Are you listening? You okay? It works in your everyday life. Me and my wife have been married 38 years, and we've seen God do a whole lot of stuff. I remember one time that we, uh, I had... Uh, been promoted to the chief of the Tift County Merchant Medical Service, and so it required me to move to Tifton, and we did that. It's too long a story, but we had, we had moved back to, to Adel, to Cook County. I didn't know what God's plan was in my life. That's another part of the story, how God deals with you and directs you and orders your steps. But, it, of course, he later would have me plant a church in that town that still uh, is, is going today. But I didn't know that then. I thought when I moved to Tifton, I would have lived and died in Tifton, but that's not wasn't, wasn't God's plan. But so we moved back, and we, we were, it was in the 80s, early 80s. I don't know if you anybody old enough in here to remember the early 80s, but you had double-digit inflation. So you ain't getting no 4%, 5%. You go to buy a house in the 80s, you're paying 10, 12-plus percent house loan. So that don't leave much house that you can buy with that kind of interest rate. So me and Mama Jill, Brother Dale wasn't knocking down that kind of change. So we was kind of limited to a little two-bedroom apartment. And when we got married, we moved in an apartment, and I didn't stay there for six months because people was killing each other around in there. I don't mean literally, but people was. I remember one night we had a townhouse, and I woke up, and people were screaming, and the man across the way was dragging his wife back in the house, you know, and they were fighting and throwing stuff at one another. I said, I got to go from here. I'm too much country for this. I can't, I can't be dealing with this. And... Uh, but so, all, but what little property and all that was renting there, you know, we gave it up when we moved to Tifton. So when we came back, one thing that says Jill's going to be is we're going to live clean. So we we found the cleanest thing to rent was an apartment, and we moved in there. Now I was just going to live there for just a little while. We lived there three years, <laughs> eight months. You want to tell me how many days and minutes? But she knew. Until I got that third child on the way in that little two-bedroom apartment with two windows in it. I mean, it just wasn't working out like I thought it would work out. And most of that was because of my own trepidation and fear. And uh, so my dad knew we wanted to do something. And he said, well, son, there's some land out here in, in Cook County. I'm going to buy six, seven, I think it's six, seven, eight acres. And uh, I'm going to put a, like a trailer park there for a financial investment but I'll let you and, and Jill have an acre of it if you want it, you know, to put you a, 
double wide or something there if that's what you want to do. And man, I was like, yeah, Daddy, I'll do that. So I went out there and looked at it, and the land was triangle-shaped. Um, and on the back side of it was a dirt road, and then on the front side was paved road. And Daddy said, well, just walk around, you know, he said, and just pick out, you know, uh, pick you out an acre. I, I don't want, me and Mama just want to give that to you. And so I said, Dad, I want this back spot right here that faces the dirt road. He said, son, you don't want to be out there at the paved road? I said, no, I want to be on I want the dirt road part. I want to face the dirt road. And uh, that's how sick of the city I was, you know what? And he said, okay. He said, well, we'll do that. So, man, we took off then on Sunday afternoon. We'd go to mobile home places, and we'd look at trailers and stuff. And, you know, they got all that fake fruit in there and, and that fake stuff all set up for you, like fake fire in the fireplace. And, man, I could just see myself in there, you know, quick. And uh, we was excited. A few weeks later, my dad calls said he was talking with his CPA and some of the people, and they just said that that wouldn't be a good investment for him. And that they, was, they, they had talked to him about a, a more lucrative investment that he was going to do, and he just said, son, I, I, you know, I, I just ain't going to do that right now. I ain't going to be able to do that. I'm going to do something different. And I hate I mentioned that to you. but So oh, I had to go one more time and look this Jill in the face and say, you know, it just, you know, just ain't working out, babe. And... Uh, Man, as a husband, you can feel like a failure. You know, you just feel like, God, you know, sorry you married me. You know, you know, you should have married somebody with had some money or something. But, uh, so, you know, but I, I, just, I just try to be positive with it. God's still for us, you know. We're going to make it, whatever. I'm talking about in the spirit. So one day I was over at my dad's house, and he took the, uh, the Vidalista paper. He took the, the paper, and I was just cruising through it, you know. But I was looking in the one ad section in the classifieds, and I saw a little ad, just a real small ad, no, nobody's name, didn't have a street name or anything. It said, uh, uh, land for sale, uh, you know, near Adele, whatever, call 896, whatever. So I said, you know, don't hurt to call. <laughs> don't hurt nothing to call. So I called the guy. And he was nice to me and told me about the land. And he started describing. He said, he said it's going to be 1.25 acres, one and a quarter acre is what I've got it divided up. He said, I've got two lots I want to sell. And he said, I'd be glad to show it to you. And uh, I said, okay. So he tells me how to get there. And I'm thinking, well, doggone. That sounds pretty close to where, where that other land was, but whatever. And then he starts describing the property. And lo and behold, there he is describing the property my daddy was going to buy, and he's done bought it. And then, I, then here goes Brother Dale's. I know you're a lot more spiritual than me, okay? So you just had to pray for me. But my mind can go negative quick. And uh, so I'm thinking, yep, yeah, he's done bought that six and a half, seven acres or whatever, but he's going to sell that cone head in down there. That's what he's got chopped off. He's going to sell me that little... You'd be living like in the triangle zone down there, Bermuda Triangle. I mean, I, don't, I want the other end that's good and square. You know what I'm saying? I, I bet he's keeping that for himself. But it don't hurt to go look. So I go out there to meet him, and he's got it all flagged out. And he walks me to the exact spot that I told my daddy that I stood on that I wanted. I feel God right now. That ain't air conditioning that you're feeling. Because even though your own natural daddy can't make it happen, you still got a heavenly daddy that can make it happen because he owns the world. He owns it all. And I'm telling you, the reason your hair is standing on the end right now because that's in the spirit. And this stuff works because God works and God's for you. And God will help you get a house. God will help you get a job. 
God will help you in every area. And this is not just for Sunday morning, call you out from the, from the pew stuff. God cares about what you care about. He loves what you love. And you don't think that my heavenly father saw me standing there that day? Saw the disappointment when we stood on that ground and we said, Father, I want this spot. And, and, and even though my natural dad and I love him in all my heart, but he couldn't make that happen. Because I would say to you in my young married days, maybe I was depending too much on my natural dad and not leaning too, too much upon my heavenly father to provide for us and to help us. And, and, and so, and he said, and, and besides my dad was going to give me an acre. This man then got 1.25 carved out. I'm getting another point twenty-five. And uh, he, he said, he said, I, he said, I got the paved road frontage and the and the dirt road side here. And uh, he said, you know, you interested in all? I said, oh no, I can't afford all of it. Don't be stupid like me and say that first thing out of somebody's mouth when they're trying to bless you. You don't know what you can afford. You can afford the world. God tells you. Stop saying what you can't do. But I, I, I'm still learning. But I'm just telling you. Anyway, I was raised with a spirit of poverty because we, we didn't have nothing. We just didn't. We didn't have no air conditioning. When I married Jill, we didn't have a shower in the house we lived in. I remember being a teenager, so embarrassed. My you know, classmates say they're going to go home and take a shower. I said, I'm going to take a shower too. You know how you took a shower at my house? You bend your head, stick it under, stick it in the tub. That's your shower. We didn't have no air conditioner. Our air conditioner was an attic fan that you took a broom and slid the, 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 uh, the hole open where the big fan in the attic would suck air through the house. <laughs> y'all look at me like y'all don't only know that. You don't know where I come from. People tell me, I, I, he, you know, if you want what, you don't know where I come from. I remember having so much cover laying on me in the wintertime, it felt like you had a wrestler, had you pinned down waiting for him to give you the three count. Mama had so many quilts on us. I remember me and my brother lay in the bedroom in there because that house didn't have zero, it had no insulation. We didn't know what insulation was. Old house up on the bricks. And me and my brother lay in there in wintertime, act like we smoking. <laughs> we blowing fog out your mouth. That's how cold it was in there. I remember I thought we was rich when mama uh, put an electric blanket on our bed and it had like a little spaceship looking dial on that thing with a spaceship looking little white control panel. You go in there 30 minutes before you're going to go to bed and crank that baby to eight. Man, that thing just be holding you when you got in that bed. There, it's so warm. Our heat in that house was space heaters. I'm the oldest. That means Dale gets up and lights all the heaters. The one in the bathroom, the one in the back kitchen, and the one in the living room. And our humidifier is a coffee cup half full of water that sits in the front. Some of y'all just Google this stuff because you know what I'm talking about. And I went to school many a morning with no eyebrows and no eyelashes <laughs> because the match failed to do what it's supposed to do quick enough. <laughs> you don't know where I come from. God's been good to this boy. Yeah. <laughs> what was I even talking about? Oh, yeah. The land. I'm about done. Y'all just... y'all. Be merciful to me. After we get out of this series, I'll go back to being a real preacher again. But I remember that man said, uh, he said, you want the dirt road part? And I said, yes, sir. And I said, how much you want for it? He said, well, I want 2500 for this uh, 1.25 acre. He said, but I'd love for you to have that front part up there. And I said, I can't afford that. 
And he said, I said, what you want for? He said, well, I want 3000 since that's the frontage, you know, paved road. But I said, well, I can't, ain't no way I can afford that, you know. But uh, he just looking at me, you know. And he said, uh, well, when could you afford it? You think you could ever be able to afford it? And I'm thinking, man, you don't even know me. You're up off in my Kool-Aid. <laughs> he said, well, when could you afford it? I said, well, I couldn't afford it until I got my little Chevy S10 paid off, I said. I got, I kept, you know, I couldn't, I, I had to get that paid for first. So fearful. Forgetting like you got a God trying to help you. And uh, he said, well, how long before you going to have that paid off? I said, it would be eight months. He said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and let you have the front road part two. He said, I, I know who you are. He said, I, I, you know, he said, I, I would love to, because he, he said, all this right here next to you, that's where I'm building my house. And he said, I, I'd love for you to be my neighbor. And I'd like to just have one neighbor by me instead of two. And he said, I already know your life, and you're a Christian, and I've heard about you, and I'd love for you to be my neighbor. He said, so how about a year from now you start making payments to me on that front part? I said, well, how much interest are you going to charge me? He said, how about zero? How's that sound to you? I, I said, <laughs> and he said, uh, I said, you, so you're going to, I'm going to go ahead and get the land. And I don't even start paying you until a year from now, and then I, zero interest. I said, how much I got to pay you? He said, how much can you pay? What you're comfortable with? I said, well, $100 a month or something. He said, I'd be fine. I remember when we sat in the lawyer's office in Adel to draw up the paperwork, the lawyer paused as he understood as we both sat there in this lawyer's office to tell him the, what to put in the contract. He paused and he said, are y'all kin to one another? And we said, no. He said, that's fine, that's fine. He said, usually it's kin people that works these kind of deals, but that's fine. I was just, I was just curious. I, I said, no, we're not kin. And I walked out of that office, and I had now, instead of one acre, I got two and a half acres. I thought I was a rich man. I was coming out of a little two-bedroom apartment that I lived in three years and eight months. I would go out in the flower bed at the apartment complex and plant bell peppers and tomato plants and, and stuff like that. And here comes the guy that, that, you know, that takes care of the yards, and he would just mow them down with his weed eater by the time they get up there. I got a little garden where I live now. It's a little old bitty box of wood with some topsoil in there. I got okra in there right now. I got a little country in me. You don't know that. I got some tomato plants. This is my second go-round. I already had one. I done, I done plowed the land. I'm on my second crop now. We ate, we ate okra out in my garden last night, didn't we, baby girl? God will bless you. God loves you. God cares about what you care about. And, and those little impressions that you have. Well, I need to call this person. or I need to do this. or What about this? Because, see, what advantage does the Jew have over the Greek? Can I translate that and not be doing the Bible a disservice? What advantage does the believer have over the unbeliever? Much in every way. Before we have the oracles of God. You have the word of God living in you. Favor ain't fair. God loves you. Now, God was showing me in my early married life, listen, son, I'm, going, I, I'm here with you. This ain't a church thing for me. This ain't just Sunday morning. When you stand on a piece of ground, that you put your foot on and you said, I, I want this, Papa, then I'm a father that can make that happen for you. But you see how I made it for you? You see, because the heart of the kings are in the hand of the Lord and God can turn people. And a man that never even knew me, do you think that was coincidence? You think that just happened? 
Do, do, do you think that, that, uh, <clears throat> that Ruth uh, in the Bible, it just said that she just happened perhaps to find herself gleaning in Boaz's field? Nothing just happens in your life. You remember that story? I don't have time to preach. But there she is gleaning, just trying to survive, and, and she's actually in Boaz's field. She's getting handfuls on purpose. Actually, the original Hebrew is handfuls of purpose. See, I just didn't happen to show back up at that spot of land. I didn't just happen that day to read the Valley of the Times and saw a little bitty ad in the classified that said, Lots for sale near Adel. But God put me right back there. And God showed me, son, I care about you. And I care about what you care about. And me and my wife lived there. And you know what I found out later? When, when, the, when the man came out there to do the percolating test, you know what I mean, to put in the septic system, the back lot wouldn't percolate. Couldn't have built nothing back there, no way. God's smarter than us. <laughs> Go ahead and get to pave part two. <laughs> because that's where I set my house, faced the pave road. It made it a lot more valuable facing that way. Before we moved, I actually came and paved that back road anyway. We, we, built, a, we built a barn out there. I remember my little kids, my, her, her, her daddy's from Texas. All her family's from out west. She was born in New Mexico. You know, she was born in Deming, New Mexico. That's about 40 miles from the border. She almost had to get her green card to get here. You hear what I'm saying? That girl can cook some Mexican food, though. That baby girl can do it. And I didn't know what Mexican food was. I remember when I started dating her, and I'd go with her family, and they was doing all this stuff, and enchiladas and enchiladas and all. And I remember one time I asked her, I said, don't y'all have regular food? I'm looking for black-eyed peas and turnip greens. I mean, what, what is all this stuff here? But I, now I love it. We eat it all the time. But, but I remember her daddy would come from Texas and visit, and when I had my little grand, I mean, my children, my, my, my sons, and, and, and uh, they wanted a horse because her daddy's cowboy. He's got a horse now. He was always wearing a cowboy. Anyway, he's just a cowboy. He lives in East Texas now. And so one time he came to the house and he brought the little, his little grandsons, my, my sons, a saddle. He just had an older saddle and he gave it to them. Well, they riding that saddle in the living room. Boy, they just bucking on that thing and getting with it. But, they, you know, Justin, well, I don't know how old he was, four, five, six years old, and he wanted a horse. Your kids are ass. And then the neighbor that lived right next to me, wire fence he had a horse and that horse would come over and hold his head over and Justin would feed him an apple or a carrot or something or rub his nose and that was even making it worse and he knew the horse's name Vandal and, he, and, and he's like dad I want a horse and I'm thinking well daddy can't afford no horse I can barely feed y'all much less them things eat but they, it just kept and so I looked at my boys one day I said we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a step towards that and he said, what you mean? I said, well, you can't have a horse if you ain't got a pen to put him in, son. I said, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start building a pen back here on this back acre and a quarter back here. And so I went to the, to the feed store, and I bought the post in like 16-foot lengths because they were cheaper that way, and you take a chainsaw and cut them in half. They're a little bit cheaper. That's what I did. And I'd buy as many as I could afford that weekend. I'd saw them in half, and I'd dig a hole with a hole digger and put the post in. And then for long, some of my church folks would come by, and said, what you doing out here? And I said, I'm putting up a fence. What you putting the fence up for? Well, one day when we get through with all this, we're going to get us a horse. He said, well, you mind if I come next Saturday and help you? I said, I'd love that. It's hard digging these holes. I mean, this ground's hard. 
So here comes the next, next, I got some help out there. We put all the four before treated posts in the ground. Took more than I thought it would take. And then we put up the wood railing on it. Rough cut lumber, nailed that up there. My daddy come out there one day and he saw his grandbabies and I throw that, once we got a fence built, I throw that saddle up on top of the fence post, on the fence rail. I gave him a little height there, give him a little perspective, you know, about what a saddle is. Get it off that living room floor. Helps us chill out. So I got it up there, and I got pictures of them there, and they up there riding that, they whooping on that fence, riding that horse. Boy, that'll touch your heart right there. And my daddy saw that. Daddy said, I'm going to buy these grandbabies a horse. And Justin said, well, I want that one next door from that man. <laughs> my kid ain't never been shy asking. My daddy went next door, long story short, and bought that three-bar bloodline quarter horse, Bay, named Vandal. Vandal Bar was his name. Come from the bar ranch out of Texas bloodline. My daddy walked that horse right over there and put it in his grandson's hand. Now we got us a horse. Daddy looked at me and said, son, you're going to have one. you got to ride with him. I said, well, I'll get one, you know, so, you know, one day. You ever do that one day stuff? And he said, well, I know a man down in Hayhire, Mr. Fiveash, that runs the grocery store. He said, he got a bunch of horses. Let's go down there and look and we'll see what he's got. So I came back with Roy Rogers' horse. For y'all that don't know what Roy Rogers' horse looks like, Google that too. It'll show you. I came back with that big old blonde horse and an almost white mane. And we had two horses. I didn't buy neither one of them. And God blessed us. And me and my sons rode them horses, and we lived out there five years. Then God moved us to another place. At one time, I looked out there, and I had nine horses. And on Sunday afternoon, a lot of church brothers would show up at my house and we rode for years and fellowshiped, and we'd have lost men show up. And I remember one, one day we had a lawyer come. He just graduated law school, just got his license, and he, he'd come to our church. Somebody invited him. And so he came and rode with us. And all horses are not saved. Some of them are of the devil. And somebody snuck a demon horse in there on my nine. And it just happened to be that young lawyer got that one that day. And that horse, no, he really didn't know how to work the controls. And the horse just really took off wild. And the saddle kind of started coming loose, and the brother started doing the side tilt. But where the horse was coming was going to be right through a little small opening with four before post on both sides. And I knew if the brother lawyer didn't turn loose, it's going to be ugly right here. And he finally, right before he saw that too, with that sharp legal mind and mathematician as he was, and he turned loose of that horse, and that didn't feel good. He rolled and skinned a while. Can I say he walked back to the house? He didn't ride back to the house. He didn't want to get back on another one. And that's the last time we ever – but he did remain a member of my church, glory to God. And, uh, but he said, I ain't going to do the horse thing, none. Fear make you change things. But, see, you don't know what God's got planned for your life. And I want to tell every wife in here, every husband – Every person in here, that this life in the Spirit is not just Sunday morning for preachers and apostles and evangelists. It's, it's for every day in your life, and I mean that. And just stop trying to outrun God like I've done. Stop being so negative. 
Stop relying on your poverty mentality that you were raised with if you were raised like me. No, no offense to my parents. They did the best they knew what to do with, but we didn't have Jesus and we just didn't have a lot of help. Okay? But once Jesus came into the life of our family, and it started with me, and then after me getting born again, here comes my dad. And after my dad, then here comes my, my uh, brother, and then my sister. And finally, mama was pretty hard-headed. She was the last to come in. And she come in, but our whole family today loves God, serves the Lord, and God's helped us a lot. He's helped us a lot. And I want to know, there's young people in here, there's, God will help you now with stuff. Have you learned anything today? Do you, is your faith built up in him today? And just listen to that voice. Stand with me, please. And I have no idea because part of our technical difficulty today was they had lost the inability to put my clock back on that big screen. What? Right now? Y'all sit back down. I got 15 more minutes. No, I'm teasing. So I didn't have my clock. I didn't know if it was 1 o'clock or what it was. He said 11.45. He lies. That was spiritually speaking. Let me pray for you today. You may feel like you're struggling for some things in your life. It can be something very practical like land to build a house on. It can be a job. It can be finances. It can be health. It can be the list is endless. I pray one thing you got today is that God is a supernatural God who loves his children and he wants to help you in life. And I can tell you story after story where God has intervened like that. And there's just something about when you're standing on something and you know God did it. God did this. That's why it was so hard for me to get, for Sister Jill to get me to move from there. Because I was so like, uh-uh, I ain't moving from here ever. I remember one time I told her, I said, all way I ever move from this spot is if Gabriel beams down and tells me to. That was stupid because that didn't happen. I, I have moved from there. But that's how strong I knew that God gave me that land. God provided that for us, and I just didn't want to leave it. But another story, another Sunday, he provided the next spot. I didn't pay but $750 an acre for my next spot and got 30 acres of it because God has favor on your life, and God will help you. And if you pay 10000 an acre, God will provide the finances for you to do that if that's what he's provided for you. So it's not a dollar amount. It's not that God won't go over this or go over that. God will help you. With your dreams, what you're believing for. Because you matter. What about a God that counts the hairs of your head? What, what's he trying to tell us with that verse? That the very hairs of your head are numbered. That means he knows more about you than you know about you. And he loves his kids. Ain't you a good daddy to your youngins? Don't you give them more than what they need? Don't you give them their desires? See how quiet it's getting? You ain't better than God, right? God's better than all of us put together. You be encouraged today.